I'd just like to pray for Paul as he comes up and brings us the word this morning. Lord, we pray for, uh, pray for Paul now as he comes and brings your word to us. Lord, we just pray that um, you'll give him uh, clarity of mind and thought as he brings your word. We thank you for his willingness to, to share. And Lord, we just pray our hearts will be open to hear your word and uh, let it be uh, something that changes our lives also. So we thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. morning. Right. I trust that um, as we consider another one of the seven churches that we will hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's the common call of, to all the churches that we hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And it's, um, it's easy to be on automatic sometimes, isn't it? and not to hear what God is trying to say to us. I've got a few of these up here. I want to just look at that. Of course, that's, that's where Laodicea, oh, sorry, that's where the Sardis is. And we, we're looking at the church at Sardis today. The revelation of Jesus Christ, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Alpha and Omega. This is what this book is about. It's a revealing, an unveiling of who Christ is. Uh, he's the judge and the ruler over the kings of the earth. This is a book of judgment. It's a solemn book. It's a book that frightens many, but we're told there's a blessing in reading it. Blessed are those who read the words of this prophecy, and then from chapters 1 to chapter 22, it's all prophecy. It doesn't start in chapter 4. It starts at the churches. And we have this judgment begins at the house of God. And, of course, this is the judgment that the Lord Jesus is pronouncing on his church. And it's not a judgment for condemnation. It's a judgment for alteration. It's a judgment to get the church right. Only two of these seven churches have got commendation. The rest of them, there's nothing. They'd wandered from the path. But from chapters 4 to 22, there's this judgment coming upon the world. And it's coming. It is coming. And so is the Lord. He walks in the midst of the seven lampstands, the seven churches. He's intimately involved. He's here today, I trust, by his spirit. He holds the seven spirits of God. That's the sevenfold ministry of the spirit of God. There's not seven spirits, but there is a sevenfold ministry. Isaiah 11 tells us that. He holds uh, the seven stars, the angels of the churches. And I don't believe that they were angels. I believe that they were humans. And I don't think they were actually joined to, the, to, the, to that local body. I think that they were messengers who came in with this message. Christ is not only speaking to his churches, instruction, he is speaking through his church's prophecy. And so sometimes we don't consider that this message of seven churches has a, a, a greater effect than what it appears to have. It seems like Jesus is just ch talking to the individual church, but as we'll see later, it's far, far greater than that. Um, this is the remains of Sardis. 
part of it anyway. Sardis was a declining city in the days of this church. And uh, it has quite a history of wreck and ruin. There are three aspects to the, to the seven churches. Here's an artist's picture of what he thought Sardis was. Uh, it was a great city. It was a very uh, affluential, affluent city, and it was very influential in the, in the area. But at the day where the church has been written to, it's on the decline. And so was the church. There's three aspects, uh, well, at least three aspects to the seven churches. Present at the time of John, each church was responsible for their character. A prophetic, from John's day through to ours, seven churches equals seven periods of time. And thirdly, practical, the voice of the Spirit to the churches still shows that there's application to every fellowship to this very day. And so here we're challenged this morning, aren't we, to hear the Spirit's voice, not just about what it's saying to Sardis, but what it's saying to you and I. Here are those ages that I talked about. The church left its first love, Ephesus. We've gone through. Uh, Ephesus means desirable, married to the Lord. That's what we are. We are engaged at the moment, but this marriage is coming. I'm sort of looking forward to that. can't understand how I could be married <laughs> to, a, to my Savior, but that's what the Bible says. Uh, Smyrna, myrrh, the suffering church, the church that released great fragrance under being crushed. Uh, persecution under Caesar worship. Elevation, this is the church of compromise, Pergamos, or marriage. marriage. Marriage to the world, actually, marriage to the state. Constantine was the one who brought this marriage in, who saw that sign and decided that uh, the church isn't the state's enemy after all, and there was this coming together, and it was the greatest uh, movement downwards. Uh, the tolerant church, perfume, continual sacrifice. This, I believe, represents the Roman Catholic Church. Every mass they have, they, they offer Christ again. Did you know that? That every mass that's prayed through throughout the world, they're offering Jesus Christ as a continual sacrifice. The Bible says this, that once at the end of the age, he put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. No need. One sacrifice forever. The dead church, this is where we are today. Things were remaining. They escaped. Uh, they escaped in the Reformation. They escaped the Roman Catholicism. But they took much with them. Things remained. They had the foundational truth that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And yet there was this inclusion, inclusion of ecclesiastical robes and, 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 and uh, ceremony and, and pomp. And so here's this, things were still remaining in this church. And of course, brotherly love, which is whoever's got that's got a good, good church. <laughs> they, were, they were going well. In 1850 to 1950, around the, the church was on mission here. The great evangelistic explosion where the gospel was going out. We need that today. We need that today. Okay. 
Laodicea righteous people, 1950 on, lukewarm church, the church of our present day, I believe. And so here's these seven periods of time where the church is around prophecy, looking forward. Let's read from verse 1 of chapter 3, to the angel of the church in Sardis write. Interesting that, that here's John saying to the messenger of the church to write it down. If it was an angelic being, he wouldn't be saying that. There'd be no need for that. Here's the human way of connection, of communication. Write this down. And he says, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. A dead church. Form had displaced fellowship. It's something I think that we all personally battle with. Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says that we've been saved into the fellowship of his son, of God's son. That's the purpose of our salvation. So he can have fellowship with us. But form is the constant, ever-present enemy of the church. We just slide into a form and it just becomes ritualistic almost. And today... The Lord's asking us (laughs) not to allow that to happen. And it's up to each of us as individuals not to be just continually uh, arriving at church and leaving like the tide. They were going through the motions, this church, a reformed church, a church that had come out of uh, Thyatira. And yet to the angel of the church at Sardis, This instruction was given. I know your deeds, he says. Christ walks in the midst of his seven lampstands. He says, I know your deeds. That's not a commendation. That's not a good thing because he doesn't say anything else. He just says, I know your deeds. And, uh, of course, uh, he sees both the what and the why. Did you know that the why is more important to us today than the what? Why I do things is far greater and has far greater importance to my Savior than what I do. And I think I might have said this before. I love preaching the gospel in the prison. But in reality, is it for me or is it for him? I have to check myself here. Why are you doing things? Why is your Christian life heading the way it's heading? 
you have a reputation of being alive. Christ is off his throne here. In the hearts of those in Sardis, Christ was not reigning. They had this reputation. Of course, reputation is what man gives to man. <laughs> we sort of earn a reputation, don't we, as being a good tradesman or a, or a good mayor or a good citizen. And they're all good things. But this church had just a reputation. That's all it had. It was dead. People can be fooled. God can't. <laughs> That's a good thing to remember, isn't it? I can fool everybody here. I'm good at fooling people. I've pretended many times in my life to be something I'm not, but I can't fool God. Men look on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. He sees. He sees the intentions of the heart. And he's calling this church to examine themselves and to get it right, to turn back. And we read that a little bit later. But you are dead, detached from the source of life. They were alive in Christ. They had been saved. They were born again, regenerated, made alive. But they were detached. It's like Jesus says in John 15, that we must be connected to the vine. If, we can't, if we're not connected to the vine, we can't do a thing. But once you're connected to the vine, you can become fruitful. And so this is the very journey that all of us are on as believers in Christ to bear fruit, to bear fruit. Okay, but you were dead, detached from the source of life, unfruitful, insensitive to the Spirit, insensitive to the Spirit's voice and non-responsive to the Spirit's commands. This church knew things. It had things in place, and yet it was not functioning. And Jesus says, it's a dead church. Wake up. You know, they already had been saved, regenerated. Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 2, and he says, uh, he says, you once were dead in transgressions and sins. And that's the case for all of us in this room until we get born again, until we receive Christ. And I, I'm not sure who in this room who hasn't been regenerated, who hasn't been born again, because I can't see your hearts. I, in fact, I hardly know most of you here. But in reality, that's the only way into the relationship with Christ, into fellowship with Christ, into the kingdom of God. Wake up. Sinners need raising from the dead. 3rd of May, 1978. I was raised from the dead. I was a dead man walking. I had no life. I had no savior. I was very alive, alive in sin, but dead in sin until I met him. And he raised me from the dead. Sleepy saints need waking up. You know, the great awakenings around the world in that period of time where brotherly love was being spread and the gospel was going forth, there was this amazing movement of God. 
there was an awakening. And the saints began to share the gospel. Mission went out. And it was a great period of time. We need to get back to that. Strengthen what remains. That means to establish it, to fix it in place. They had truth, but it was fading. They had Christ's presence, but perhaps they hadn't anymore. Perhaps he'd removed the lampstand, but they had to fix this, strengthen what remains. And it was up to them. They had to have resolve for this. They had to have some sort of conviction about this. They had to have strength to do this. They couldn't do it apart from Christ, but they were being called to strengthen what remains. What hadn't been lost, that truth, that precious truth that had been lost, they needed to regain it. And sometimes, you know, sometimes I find that I forget truth. It's an incredible thing, isn't it, that that as a believer in Christ, the most basic thing, the truth of the word of God, I forget it. When I need it, I haven't got it at hand. And I'm, I'm just going through the motions, and that's why we need to be in the word. They still had salvation, truth, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, but their foundations were crumbling here. They could lose that. And in fact, if you look at the Sardis Church in the Reformation period, they did lose that. They lost this basic thing, and things started to be added. Infant baptism, state and church membership. It all became more important than the basic foundational truth that is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And so here, the, uh, the apostle writes, strengthen what remains and is about to die. It needn't die, and it wouldn't die if action was taken. Lifelessness calls for resuscitation, and that's what happened to the Philadelphian church. There was this resuscitation, this movement of the Spirit, this breathing in of God's Spirit into that congregation, congregations. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God, did you know that deeds are related to faith for the believer? James says that faith without deeds is dead. But I'm saying today that deeds without faith is dead. Deeds without faith, has, it's meaningless. Every action ought to be by faith. The just shall live by faith. And that's not coming into Christ. That's how we live after we've come into Christ. We've been justified, set apart, and now we live by faith. It's a bit hard hard to do in this land, isn't it? We've got so much, and we have everything at our disposal, as it were. You lose all that, and you start to live by faith, I suppose. But this is the call on our lives. The just shall live by faith. 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 3. I want to read this to you. If you want to turn to it, it's a great verse. Here's the Thessalonian church. 
uh, under severe persecution and undergoing <laughs> great trouble and problems, huge problems. But they're thriving. They're alive. This church is, is really going for it. And in verse 3, it says, we can, Paul writes, he says, we continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. That's the sort of deeds that would have been acceptable to, Lord, to the Lord. Not just going through the motions. He doesn't commend them at all because he knew their deeds. But now he says, uh, your deeds are not complete in the sight of God. Deeds are related to faith for the believer. Dead deeds are not related to faith. As faith without deeds is dead to man, it's not that God has to see our works our deeds to know that we're saved because he knows we're saved. But man needs to see it. And if man doesn't see it, and sometimes good works have been disenfranchised, they've been put on the back burner, but good deeds are great. We should be known for good deeds. We're saved not by good works, but to do good works. And so this call to do good works by faith as the Thessalonians were. He says, work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is a great church. I don't doubt it had its problems. I don't doubt that it had trouble because there's always trouble. You see, when the church is dead, Satan gives up his job, doesn't he? He's done his job. He's done his work. It's a dead, he's not concerned about that church anymore. And there is a continual attack to bring us into this death away from fellowship with Christ because that's why we've been saved. That's for whom we've been saved. And so here's this call on our lives, fellowship with Christ. Then it says, remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Rediscover it. Recover it, and this will result in right motivation, right direction, and right affections. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth, where Christ sits at the right hand of God. And repent. Metanias, change your mind. That's what repentance really is. It's not a work, otherwise we would be working our way for salvation. It's a change of mind. It's in the mind that the battle's won or lost. And here this church is, the Lord's saying to them, change your mind about your direction, <laughs> about your motivation, and about your affections. Repent. Change of lordship. That means I'm not on the throne. My Savior's on the throne. He's the one who determines the way I live, the where, the where I go and the what I do. Change of life. It's his life in me. I say to the boys in prison, eternal life's a gift. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's never a reward, but it's never a commodity either. It's not something that we store away, and neither is, is it a contract that we can break. Eternal life's his life. Jesus' life in me. That's wonderful. That's glorious. Verse 
You know, some years ago, I had a friend who went to the States and he went to Emmaus Bible School and there he studied and he met the love of his life there and brought her home. They live in Matamata now. But when he came home, he dropped in. We were living in Tura at the time and he dropped in and he said, Paul, I want you to listen to these tapes. And I said, thanks, Steve. And I put them on the shelf and I never used them, never, never listened to them. Do you do that? Anyway, I picked them up, I don't know, 12 months, two years later, and I started to listen. And I should have listened a long time before that. It was tapes by a man called Peter Brandon, an Englishman who had been asked to Australia because they needed preachers there. And he went there to talk and teach about the local church that God blesses. And he started off with his message, his first message, and there's a series of, I think, six tapes, The Repentant Church. The church that repents is the church that God blesses. When we hear his instruction, when we hear his direction, we obey. The second one was the prayerful church, the church that's on its knees, aware that they can do nothing without him. And they're going to him for everything. The worshipping church. The worshipping church is not that we just sing. It's that we worship the risen Christ. Singing's part of it, but it's not all, all of it. The life of worship is what we're called to. The life of devotion. Everything flows from that, actually. If you're in love with Jesus, your deeds will be done in faith. And so this is the core, the missional church, the obedient church, the united church. No divisions, no breaks. We're one in Christ, and we're living accordingly. We love each other. Brotherly love includes the sisters too. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what time I will come to you. You know that when this church at Sardis, in its historical context, when it left and escaped the, the domination and the horror of Rome, they had no idea about the Lord's return for them. And you read the literature, there was no mention of a rapture. That was discovered later on. It was in the early church, but it was discovered later on. And so this awakening, they were unable to know it because they didn't know it. They, were, they would be taken by surprise. The Lord would return. And you know what? I think that that's the case. I'm looking for his return. I'm not looking for it hard enough, I don't think. If Jesus was coming tomorrow, what would you change in your life? Well, I've got a lot of things to change in mind. But this is cool, isn't it? His return is imminent. It's close. And he says to this church, but if you don't wake up, you're not going to realize it. I'm going to come and you're going to be taken by surprise, unexpectedly, unaware, unknowingly. The church was ignorant of the return of Christ for his people. Ignorant because they were dead. They weren't looking for the Lord. Home was earth. <laughs> they'd settled down. They were no longer pioneers. They'd become settlers. 
Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have, have not soiled their garments, a remnant, a group, heart, love for Christ. Believers who were faithful, loyal. I like that word, loyal. Loyalty. That's what the Lord's calling us to today. Loyalty to him. And if I'm loyal to him, I'll be loyal to you. I'll be loyal to his word. I'll be loyal as a citizen of this land. Did you know that the believers are deserters? <laughs> we're, we're deserters. We've deserted the other side. We're treasonists. As far as Satan is concerned, we've deserted that group, that army of unsaved. And it's not that we think we're better than the, than the unsaved because I was unsaved once and someone shared the love of Christ for me. Deserters. Loyal to the king, the true king, the saviour. He says, they will walk with me. That's a picture of fellowship, walking with Christ. And then it says that um, they're dressed. They're not naked. <laughs> they're dressed in white robes. It talks about character, to be dressed in Christ, to put on Christ, talks about our character. In the Old Testament, Joseph's dressing was about morality. Aaron's dressing was about ministry. And Solomon's was about majesty. And we're dressed at the moment. We've been clothed with the very righteousness of Christ. And we have this amazing privilege to walk with him in fellowship. In white, fitness. You know, the fitness industry is huge, isn't it? People are trying to stay alive forever, <laughs> but they're not going to. The degeneration is, is coming in. And you know what? That, that this fitness for heaven is, means that we're, we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. We have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. We have been justified, set apart for God, and we're on our way. But whilst we're here, we have this great privilege of being in fellowship with the living God. He who overcomes will, be, will like them be dressed in white. You know, there's a lot of thought about having to overcome difficulties, having to overcome so you can walk. But if you read 1 John 5.14, does anyone know what it says? It's a great verse. I'll say it. Who is he who overcomes the world? He that believeth that Jesus is the Christ. And then it goes on and it says, we are all overcomers in Christ. That's, that's who we are. We don't always overcome. In fact, frequently I'm, I'm overcome. But we're overcomers. We're not of this world. We belong to Jesus. In general sense, all in Christ are overcomers. But all in Christ do not always overcome. And so here's this, this verse here. It says, he who overcomes will 
like them, be dressed in white. And I think that it's a reference to overcoming the difficulties of the day. But in reality, you are already an overcomer. Live like an overcomer. Be an overcomer. Overcome your difficulties by faith in Christ, because the just shall live by faith. Some in Christ are overcome. We are to be overcomers because we are overcomers. Christ has overcome for us. He's the, he's the ultimate overcomer. He overcame death. <laughs> Nearly finished. I will never erase his name from the book of life. The assurance of salvation is promised to the overcomer. And every believer is an overcomer. But he wants us to be overcomers. He wants us to be what we are. Christian, be what you are. The overcomer belongs to the one who overcame. The promise is incentive to overcome. And so here's this absolute promise that the Lord Jesus says, you're going to make it. I'm praying you home. I'm your forerunner. I'm there already. And where I am, there you will be also. but will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. Loyalty acknowledged. Loyalty rewarded. Salvation is not a reward, by the way. It's a gift. But there will be rewards for those who have been loyal to their Savior. And he promises that. And he will search, because we are under his scrutiny, why we do things as he, this church was under his scrutiny and the rest of those six churches were under his scrutiny, he's giving them what they need, instruction. He who has an ear. These, these are great words. Those sensitive to the Spirit's voice, those who will incline their hearts to Christ, let them hear. Listening will result in hearing and it will result in obedience. We're called to obey. We're not called to hear and disobey, but called to hear and obey what we hear, what the Spirit says to the churches. You know, the Spirit talks to the churches in the letters, in the epistles. That's the church's charter. That's where we get instruction as to how we're to behave in the house of God. All our teaching, all our doctrine is about that. The revelation, illumination, corporately communion and privately surrendered. Obey what the Spirit says. Am I over time? Sorry. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the wonder that rebels like us who were part of a movement that was totally against you have been wonderfully saved and brought out of that and into life. Father, help us at Okanui not to ignore the promptings of your spirit, but help us, Lord, to love one another, care for one another, provoke one another to love. Help us, Lord, to be vitally engaged in fellowship with yourself. And we ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. <laughs>